Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. We start with yesterday's ICBC rate freeze. It was announced by Premier David Eby. Here's what he had to say. I'm pleased to announce that thanks to the reforms we made uh, that have turned around our Crown Corporation, there will be no increases to ICBC's overall basic rate for the next two years. This will help keep insurance affordable for British Columbians at a time when people are facing significant cost pressures. This marks five straight years in a row with no rate increases and some of the highest rebates in Canada. Okay, two-year rate freeze at ICBC. Oh, isn't that interesting? That takes them beyond the next scheduled election, so voters would not be hit with a ICBC rate hike before they go to an election. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. They are the government doing this, even though ICBC is losing money. They're projected to lose nearly three hundred million bucks this year. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Liberal MLA Trevor Halford. Very pleased to welcome him back to the show, Trevor. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, affordability. A big issue in our province right now. That's something that David Eby stressed yesterday. So he said that's why they're freezing rates. Do you guys support it in the Liberals? Yeah, well, I, you know, affordability is a massive issue uh, across BC, no matter where you are. And it definitely is in, in my community of South Surrey here. Um, so we support, um, you know, we want to make sure that car insurance is affordable for British Columbians. But we also you know, find it a bit disingenuous for the premier. And this is something we've seen kind of uh, him do in the last few months is stand in front of British Columbians and paint a picture that's not accurate. Um, ICBC is not on good financial footing right now. And you just said it, they are projected to lose close to $300 million this year. Their operating expenses are up dramatically, 25%. That's almost 1 billion. And they're paying out to those that have been injured um, in accidents 30% less when vehicle collisions are up 15%. So um, my thing is just be transparent. Uh, And that's something that this government, especially this premier, has uh, mightily struggled with. Okay, well, what are they not being transparent about? All the numbers you just quoted were released by ICBC, right? Yeah, well, to stand up and say that ICBC is on good financial footing right now, I I don't think is accurate. Uh, and the other thing, too, is to say that they're going to put this before the BC Utilities Commission. Um, well, yeah. they, had just, they had just done an order in council that pretty much makes that unnecessary. So, again, um, you know, if they're that, you know, if, if they're that confident in where they are with ICBC, um, you know, just, just say that. Okay, so they're losing money. They're set to lose $300 million bucks this year. Their investment portfolio is in the tank, like a lot of people's investments have gone down. So are you saying that they can't afford a rate freeze and they should increase ICBC premiums? No, no, not at all. What I'm saying is, yeah, no, I'm not saying that. I I think that we need to make sure that car insurance is affordable for all British Columbians. Um, But again, is that I think there has to be a look. Is there a way that we can look at some of the operating costs that have gone up by 25% and make sure that, people that are injured in accidents are getting properly taken care of. And, I, you know, there was a senior in Surrey in October that was hit by a stolen car, yeah. injured collision in a stolen car that is, is, is struggling to get his medical expenses uh, covered. He can't even get his car replaced. Um, you know, you've heard about the, the cyclist on the island. So there are a lot of stories that are coming out right now that people aren't getting the proper support they need when they're injured. And that, that to me, is concerning. 
Yeah, that senior sit that's uh, Surrey senior that you're talking about there was a guest on the show, Keith Culpitz. He was a guest here okay. a, a couple of weeks ago. And by yeah. the way, no fault auto insurance in BC. You know, everyone loves low premiums. I mean, you're not going to find anyone who say, yeah, keep my auto insurance rates low. That's great. The problem is if you are seriously injured in a crash and then you've got to deal with ICBC and no, and no fault insurance, you can't hire a lawyer to sue for damages. What mm-hmm. is the Liberal Party position on no fault? Well, I think Kevin, Kevin said this yesterday in some of the interviews that, that he gave is that, you know, we, are, we need to consider having choice. Um, and that is something that I, I think that, that he is going to explore and will explore as a caucus. But I can tell you, with the example that you and I just talked about with the senior, with the cyclist on the island, um, there are other cases that are happening right now. And I, I think that, you know, David Eby, um, when, that, when that specific case was brought to him yesterday, he said it was growing pains. Well, I think it's a little bit more than growing pains. We're talking about people's lives here. So um, that needs to be addressed. And, you know, we need to look at how we can, how we can best do that. Okay, so when you say people should be given choice, I recall the Liberals in the past saying when it came to no-fault auto insurance that maybe people should be offered two, two products here for their basic mm-hmm. auto insurance. You could choose to take a no-fault auto insurance product, which, which would be cheaper premiums, or you could choose what's known as a full-tort model where you would still be allowed right. to hire a lawyer and sue if you're injured, and the premiums on that product would be higher. Is that still the position of the Liberals, that you should have a choice? Yeah, that could be. I think that, uh, you know, Kevin was, uh, was clear about this yesterday in terms of choice. And I've, yeah. I've had the honor of having this portfolio for about 96 hours now. But um, that is something that I definitely want to sit with our caucus and talk about is what exactly would that look at and, and other stakeholders as well. Yeah. Um, particularly those that are, are rate payers and, and some of those that have been injured and just find a way if we can do things a bit different. Speaking to Liberal MLA Trevor Halford about yesterday's ICBC rate freeze, let me play a clip here for you, Trevor, from Aaron Sutherland from the Insurance Bureau of Canada. They represent private insurers in the country. He was a guest here on the show yesterday, and he made the case for private sector competition in auto insurance. Right now, ICBC's got a monopoly on basic auto insurance. He is saying, like, look, if ICBC is as great as the government says, if they put out the dumpster fire, well, let them compete. Let private sector insurers offer basic auto insurance in BC and let drivers and consumers make the decision if they want to stick with ICBC or buy private insurance. So here's Aaron Sutherland on yesterday's show, and then I'll get your thoughts on that. If drivers are given the opportunity to shop around, uh, they could see significant savings. And when I think about the consumer affordability challenges we have in this province, that's what I'd like to see. Let's let ICBC put their money where their mouth is, give drivers the opportunity to shop around and see if they can't find further improvements um, by going with somebody else. Trevor Halford, do you agree with them? Well, I think I want to have that conversation with our caucus. I, you know, when it comes to choice, I think there's a lot of options and, you know, that, that is definitely one of them. Um, I'm not going to, to say that that that's the right way to go but i I think we have to look at that and and have those conversations going forward i'm I'm not getting very many clear answers out of you here this morning trevor like uh you're saying you you haven't got a policy on this well in terms of uh i like i said i think that we do need to look at i um can't be more clear on that i think that drivers need options 
um, you know, when you have the cases that we've had before, people not getting proper support when they're injured, that shows you that the system is not working for everybody. And that's a problem. Um, that's been acknowledged. And I, I think we've got to look at the choices that we can have and put that before British Columbians. Okay. If auto insurance has always been a, a political football in this province, you will never see an NDP government move to private auto insurance. No possible way they will ever do that. It was the NDP who set up ICBC in the first place in the 1970s. There's no way they dismantle it. And they will argue that if you allow private insurance or insurers here to start operating on basic auto insurance, it's not going to be affordable. Here's Mike Farnworth on this yesterday, BC Solicitor General, talking about private auto insurance, and I'll get your thoughts. With this latest action, basic insurance rates will now be at their lowest level since 2014. This was validated as recently as last week with the release of an Ernst & Young report that found auto insurance in British Columbia is more affordable in province than in provinces with private insurance. Trevor Halford, are you buying that, that we've got a better deal here than compared to other provinces where they have private auto insurance? Yeah, I'm not necessarily sure. I think that, you know, one of the things is they've, they've done this as a two-year two rate freeze to take us past the next election. So, you know, one of the yeah. things I'm with is what what are rates going to look like you know after the next election given the fact that we're looking at a 300 million dollar loss just this year for icbc um you know i i don't know what the next two years are going to look like financially in terms of investments for icbc collisions all that stuff so what are we going to look like and for us to say that you know we've got a crystal ball and that you know rates are going to continue to be frozen i think is a bit disingenuous trevor thank you for coming on today thanks mike Okay, here we go now with any parent's worst nightmare. Imagine this scenario now. Your car is stolen with your kids in the back seat. It happened to Merritt mom, Renee Barron. She has a warning for other parents out there. After this happened to her, she joins me now. Renee, thank you very much for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Okay, Renee, what a terrifying experience for you. First of all, how old are your kids? Uh, my kids are six and four. Okay, and you got, so you have three kids, right? But there was only two of them in the car, is that right? Yeah, I have, I have three in total. One was at high school, and the other two were homesick with me on Friday. Oh. Okay, so this happened yeah. Friday. Okay, Renee, tell me the whole story here. How did, how did this whole, all go down? Okay, so Friday I went into town to get kids from school, and then I wanted to drop off something at Central for my son's hot lunch. So I went there before the kids were getting out of school because I wanted to get in and out before the parking lot got crazy. But as I was pulling into the parking lot, I noticed a strange woman to the right of me. She looked frantic. Maybe she was looking for somebody. I didn't think anything of it. I continued to drive towards the office. I got out of my vehicle and I went inside the school. Um, I just peeked in through the office to see what was happening because there was someone else in there. And then I looked back out the window and my car was being driven off with my kids in the car. Oh, oh my goodness. So this this happened like immediately. Yeah, it was like instant. And I'm pretty sure it was the person that I thought had been a little sketchy looking in the parking lot. I didn't even get a chance to tell the school that I noticed somebody in the parking lot strange because they then jumped in my car and took my car. (laughs) It happened so fast, yeah. What was going through yes, your mind I, at that moment? 
I, well, I thought it was my fault. I thought maybe I didn't put the car in park or better yet, maybe my kids are messing around in there. So I ran out the door after my vehicle to realize that it wasn't stopping. I immediately turned around and went back into school and got them to call the police for me. Um, and they were on it right away. It, it took them no time, a matter of 10 minutes. It felt like forever, though. I'm sure those are the longest 10 minutes of your life. Yeah, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was so- scary. Um, but yeah, you don't think at um, you don't think at your child's school that this is going to happen. Um, it's a place where you pretty much know everybody. So I would have never expected this, but it's something that I'm never going to do again, not even in my own driveway. Yeah. Okay, so you see the car being driven away, you call the police immediately, and then they quickly, like, where was the vehicle found? So I, I'm, we're guessing that she realized there was kids in the car. So, um, I mean, thankfully, the bridge is still out by the school, so that prevented her from leaving town that way, thankfully. Um, so I guess her only option was to go in towards town. I guess she went over to Pharmasave to ditch my car, but the police had already caught up with her there and arrested her. Oh, my goodness. And how old are your kids in the backseat again, did you say? Yep, they're six and four. Okay. So one was in a car seat. She couldn't even unbuckle herself because she's in a five-point harness still. And my other child is six, and he, he could get out. But he he knew it wasn't me because when the person got into my vehicle, he asked if it was me, and the lady didn't answer. He knew oh. that something was wrong. <laughs> oh, my goodness. What a terrifying experience, not only for you, but, but for your kids. How are they doing? For the kids. Uh, they're doing much better today. My four-year-old still talks about it and tells everybody that she got kidnapped. And then my six-year-old <laughs> doesn't really seem to care. <laughs> oh, but man. everybody's doing well. So, yeah, we're grateful that it had a good outcome. Yeah, no, I'm grateful for you, too. Um, do Thank you. Think, you. Do you think that uh, whoever took, this, took your car, stole your car, do you, they, they probably didn't realize there were kids in the back. And then once they, once they realized there were two kids in the back, they said, I'm going to ditch the car. Get out of here. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking too. I I don't think um I don't think they were thinking about that kind of stuff when they jumped into my car, but I mean it is a school. I mean, you would think that people have other kids too. But yeah, I'm just grateful that she realized that my kids were in the car and that she decided not to do anything crazy um and that she went over to the pharmacy, which was a good spot cuz the police caught up with her there. So Right. I'm just grateful that everybody was quick thinking and on it. How um, the merit police were amazing. So the car was running, I guess, right? Yeah, um, I left my car running just outside uh. the office doors. The guy was only feet away from my car when I saw it moving. Um, I guess I thought that was the safe thing to do, but now I realize that that's not the safe thing to do ever. So yeah. I will definitely not be doing that again. So th- this person you saw in the parking lot, like, had you ever seen this person before around the school? No, I've never seen this person before. I mean, I don't even know really a lot of people in this town. I've only been here five years, um, so I don't really know many people. Um, I definitely did not know this person. And, um, you know, I, I should listen to my gut instincts because I thought they were suspicious when I first pulled into the parking lot. But yeah. I just didn't think anything of it, you know, because it's school. I mean, maybe they're looking for someone. Or maybe they're picking somebody up. I don't know, Right. But then when I saw my car moving, that's when I got a sick feeling in my stomach. And I thought, oh, that might, that might have been the same person. And sure enough, it was the same person. Yeah. 
Speaking to Merritt mom, Renee Barron, how her vehicle was stolen with her two kids in the back seat. Happily, it had a happy ending a short time later. So, Renee, yeah. what kind of vehicle do you have? Uh, my vehicle is a 2021 Kia Sorento. Okay. White. Yeah. Because I'm thinking like, you know, okay, so it's a kind of a newer vehicle. Maybe it's a bit attractive yeah. for someone to, to rip it off, although any, any type of cars <laughs> can get stolen these days. Yeah, that's true. And see, my car, you, I, it just, the key is in the vehicle because I can't drive it unless the key is in there. Um, so, I mean, essentially, I should have just turned my car off and locked the door with the kids in it and went inside. But like I said, when you're at the school, I mean, how many times have I done that where I'm like, I'll be right back, guys. I'm just running inside for a quick sec. Yeah. And, you know, like that one time, it didn't go very well. So, is definitely a hard lesson learned for me. Is there a lot of crime in Merritt? I mean, this is a small community. You know, you don't think something like this would happen in a small town, but I mean, is there, you know, we hear a lot about gr- urban crime these days. Is it is it a growing problem in Merritt these days? You know what? I'm not really sure. I don't even live in town. So okay. a lot of the stuff that happens in town doesn't really affect us because we live just outside of town. But, I mean, I don't think it's safe anywhere anymore. Like, you can't trust anybody. You just have to be really careful. Yeah. Our small town, you know, it's a tight-knit community, but it doesn't still mean that things can't happen. Right, right. <laughs> I remember yeah. when my kids were little, you know, I remember people saying, you know, never leave your kids in a vehicle, even if you're just popping in somewhere for two seconds. But, yeah. I mean, like you said, I mean, if we're going to be honest with the, with each other, like maybe stuff like that does happen more than we realize, especially if you're just ducking into a school office for two minutes, yeah. you know, to drop something up. Yeah. But what, you mentioned like this is a lesson learned for you. Like wh- how would what would what is the lesson that you've learned here? Do you think the lesson I've learned is uh, you can't be too trusting of people and you have to watch your back and you got to be able to protect your kids. So for me, um I feel like that was a huge mistake and and I'm just grateful that it turned out well and that my kids are safe and happy and home with me. But I mean, that might not have been the situation. So now for me, it's something that I'm going to make sure that I'm more uh, vigilant about and definitely not make that mistake again. And you've got a message for other parents too, right? That would be your advice to other parents too, right? Yeah, absolutely. Don't leave the car running with the kids in it for any any reason if you have to leave them in the car i would suggest turning your vehicle off locking it and taking your keys with you right and you mentioned that i didn't take my kids in the school because they were sick yeah right so i thought oh i'll just leave them in the car for a sec i'll run in drop the form off and come back well in those two minutes like it seemed like forever but that's what happened so definitely not something i will do again what a nightmare for you yeah totally it was you mentioned that you were impressed with the response by the local police yeah they were awesome they wasted no time whatsoever they sent um detachment out to block off town um from anybody getting on the highway um and then they sent the rest of the officers out after my vehicle um which is where they caught up with her at the pharmacy safe so thankfully everybody was just I'm just grateful that everybody was on it and um, they wasted no time whatsoever. And I'm also grateful that the woman decided, Hey, you know, there's kids in the car. Maybe I'll just leave the car somewhere. I'm grateful for that too, that, you know, she didn't decide to do anything crazy. So I'm just grateful for the whole situation to be over. And I'm grateful for everybody um, involved that helped. 
Have the police told you anything about the person they arrested here? I understand that they, they know who this person is. Um, I'm assuming they do. Um, I don't know the person, um, but I'm assuming it's a local. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to be more careful from now on. <laughs> Renee, thank you for sharing the story today. And I, it's an important lesson for everybody out there. I appreciate your time. For sure. Thanks, Mike. All right, let's talk about vaping products in British Columbia and across Canada now. Are you a vapor? Well, you may have noticed that your vape products are going up in price. A excise, federal excise tax has been kicking in this fall. On January 1st, vape retailers will be required to be fully compliant with this new tax. This is uh, coming down from the Canada Revenue Agency, an excise tax that has kicked in this fall. It will raise the cost of vape products uh, quite significantly in some cases. Now, if you're a vapor and you're looking around for some of these products, you may find that some of them are cheaper than others as retailers continue to adopt to these new taxes. Earlier, provincial taxes on vape products had also increased as well. The B.C. government, especially Health Minister Adrian Dix, had been on the... Uh, the the attack on these vape products, they do not like the idea, especially of young people taking up vaping. They've been, in, they've been encouraging the federal government to get on board with tougher vape regulations and higher taxes as well. Let's go back to what Adrian Dix had to say about it. Here's the health minister. Vaping is not a good idea. And this is the clear message we want to send today. We're taking specific actions, and I think what is the most significant program of any jurisdiction in Canada. We are optimistic and hopeful that the federal government will be taking action soon as well to bring it in within their jurisdiction to support and uh, enhance what we're doing in British Columbia. Okay, here's the other side of this coin. Nobody likes to see kids vaping. I live near a high school. I often take my dog for a walk near the high school. I go for a run near there. Man, you see these young kids in, in groups and you see that vape cloud over them. I want to go up to them and say, what are you doing? Don't be doing this vaping. You got nicotine in the juice. You can get hooked on this. There have been lots of disturbing studies coming out about young people who have been vaping, get hooked on vaping. Now, cigarette smoking and tobacco use has gone down. That is a good thing. It's healthier for smokers to transition to vaping if they can. I lost both my parents to smoking. My dad died of lung cancer. My mom died of a brutal stroke. They were both smokers. I sometimes wish I could go back in time and say, hey, maybe you could try vaping instead. Fortunately, can't do that. But here's the thing. If people can transition off tobacco and on to vaping instead, does jacking up the taxes on vape products actually discourage that transition. Let's discuss it now with my guest, Daryl Tempest. He's with the Canadian Vaping Association. I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Hey, Daryl, thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Okay, Daryl, let's talk a little bit about this these federal excise taxes. So these have already kicked in, right? But retailers, it, some retailers have not fully uh, brought in these taxes yet. Is that correct? No, the... Uh as it was phased in, the start date is actually January 1st. So 
Okay, what hap- What will happen on January 1st? How much will vape products go up in price? I got a, I got a feeling we lost Daryl there, so we're going to try and, and reconnect with him. Yeah, the phase-in that's happening right now on January 1st will have that federal excise tax will be fully in place in Canada. That will increase the price of vape products. Now, this has a lot of support among health professionals as well. Have a listen to this here now. This is Dr. Don Sin. He's a respirologist at St. Paul's Hospital. And his view on it is, yeah, let's increase the taxes on these products so we can prevent people from starting vaping, especially young people. Here's what he has to say about it. I think this is what the, uh, the medical community has been clamoring for in uh, raising taxes, ensuring that vaping is not uh, exposed to our young people under the age of 19, and uh, really limiting access. I think this is critically important. Okay, got Daryl Tempest back from the Canadian Vaping Association. So, so Daryl, talk to me a little bit about these uh, these taxes that are kicking in. How much will this increase the cost of vape products in Canada? Thank you, uh, and I apologize for the technical difficulties. Um, yeah. It's uh, $1 per 2 mils. So, you know those small pod systems that you would see that are very slick devices in your hand? Um, and then uh, from there it uh, goes up $1 per 10 mil. So the products that are uh, mostly used by adults, you'd see like a 60 mil bottle, they would go up by $6 uh, with this new federal tax. And if the provinces buy into that uh, regime and sign on, it would double that. So it'd be $2 for the smaller devices and uh, $12 for, uh, uh, for a 60 mil bottle. What do you think of those tax increases uh if you combine the two then a product that according to the royal college physicians which is 95 percent less harmful than combustible tobacco will be the same price if not more expensive than cigarettes wow okay well, this will make vapes more expensive than tobacco cigarettes that is correct wow wow what do you think of that well, I think it uh, really blows up the idea of first premise, which is the first premise is to get as many people transitioned away from combustible tobacco as possible. Uh, I think if you look at the uh, taxation policy and uh, you can look at other policy initiatives like flavor bans in, uh, in combination. So in the U.S. in the last uh, uh, two months, there was three states that had taxation and flavor bans. Not only has smoking gone up in those prov- or in those states, uh, uh, smoking has gone up in the youth category as well. So now we're seeing uh, where we were always said that vape, or we were always told that the concern was vaping led to a gateway effect where uh, youth would start experimenting with combustible tobacco. Well, that's never happened. Uh, but once the prices went up. Um, we see in those jurisdictions that uh, that smoking's gone up. And we have that here in Canada as well, because uh, most people don't know that uh, Nova Scotia was the first to tax this product heavily and introduce flavor bans. And in the first time in, uh, in decades, their taxation that they collected on combustible tobacco went up 5.2%. So we have a real model to see if these policies actually have an impact on the only audience they define, which is youth experimentation, um, of which uh, adult Canadian smoking uh, smokers are right. rarely considered up to this point. 
So the taxation is meant to uh, get youth not to experiment with this product. But if you look at it in reality, uh, vaping is made up of uh, four main components, propylene glycol, vegetable, glycerin, and uh, nicotine, along with food flavoring. Well, you can go to Safeway out there in, in, uh, in BC and get uh, uh, propylene glycol, vegetable glycerin, and food flavoring from any safe way you want to and create a vaping uh, juice. Uh, so in that case, none of those things have tax. So these policies don't uh, align together um, okay. uh, for effective policy. Okay. I think there are two main aspects of this. One is preventing youth from taking up vaping in the first place. Yeah which is a concern for everyone, but the, the, there's also the smoking cessation element of it. Is it safer for people and improve their health over the long term if they can quit smoking cigarettes and combustible tobacco, as you described it, and transition to vaping instead? Let's talk about that part of it for a minute. Like Vaping is safer than smoking tobacco, correct? I mean, that's not in dispute, right? It's, it's, well, and even if you look at the Health Canada that just put out their review on Friday, uh, there is a immense amount of global evidence that will show you that vaping is less harmful than smoking. Yeah. So, starting with the premise of the World's College of or Royal Royal's College of Physicians, which did the early research on this, which where they were the ones who found, based on all the research, that vaping is ninety five percent less harmful. So it's not benign. But our nation's right. largest form of preventable death, and I heard you when you were talking about uh, your family members that passed uh, with smoking-related disease. I've had far too many adults, uh, grandparents, parents that died the same way as your family members. That should be a massive part of the policy here because in its most pessimistic view, vaping is twice as effective at its, at its lowest point to transitioning people off of combustible tobacco as any other NRT product available to the global population. All right. Talking vaping with Daryl Tempest, Canadian Vaping Association. Federal vape taxes set to kick in here. The price of vape products set to rise. Lots of calls. Bill in Burnaby. Hi, Bill. Go ahead. Transition from uh, cigarettes to vaping about a year and a half ago and the uh, savings, basically, I was spending two twenty-five a month on cigarettes, and then that's down to under hundred dollars now. Uh, my health, my I had high blood pressure, and my blood pressure actually dropped. I, I'm in a lot better condition physically than I was when I was smoking. That's for sure. My doctor's thrilled. Uh, but what I've seen already is at my local vape store, they've already jacked up the price on the vape, and it's got the little tax stamp uh, wrapped around the juice bottle. It's gone from twenty-four dollars up to thirty-one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if uh, I would I, I would never go back to cigarettes personally, but I, I have smoked a cigarette in like about two months ago uh, just because I ran out of juice and I felt terrible. So yeah. uh, the vaping's the way to go. I mean, if somebody if people are smoking and they want to quit cigarettes, that do it because you're going to feel better. It's going to cost less money. But like you say now, like your uh, guest said with the taxes. I mean, where are we going to end up at par or worse? I mean, what, I don't know what to do about that. Okay, thank you for that, Bill. I'm glad you're able to kick smoking cigarettes. Daryl, what do you think of that story? I hear it all the time, and it is true. One of the big incentives, because right now, and Health Canada put this in the review, that 
because of uh, of all these campaigns about vaping, uh, the vast majority of adult Canadians think vaping is as dangerous, if not more dangerous, as smoking, which is just not the case. Um, financially, it was important, but you know they talk about taxation to protect the youth. So as we know, alcohol is heavily taxed with uh, with uh, with excise tax. It has twice the prevalence of cannabis and vaping with use usage. Hmm. So what okay. has excessive tax and alcohol done to change the behaviors? Because they say it changes the behaviors, right? So all we're doing is punishing those who have chosen this to better their health, which lowers our healthcare costs. So if I'm a non-vapor, if I'm a non-smoker, what do I care? I care because it's the number one preventable form of death in Canada, and it's our most expensive spend Okay. for health. Back to the phone lines. Karen on the line in Surrey. Hi, Karen. Go ahead. I have asthma. Um, she knows the risks in our family of uh, various diseases. And I just wanted to say that um, she coughs every day. Okay, Karen, you're, you're breaking up real bad. I'm going to try and see if we can clean that up, and I'll come back to you if we can get a stronger connection there with you, okay? Harman. In Surrey, Harman, go ahead. Hey, Mike, thanks for taking my call here. And I just want to touch up on, like, I quit smoking transition about four years ago when I had my first child. I didn't want to be around my child with the smoke smell and, you know, with the dangers around it. And it's really helped me. And now I'm at the point where I feel I can even quit vaping. It's really helped mm. me a lot, helped me save money. You know, spending time with your kids, not worrying about the smell or anything like that, bringing any harm to them. I feel this is going to really hurt a lot of people, like your other caller said. You know, it drives up the money they're spending monthly, and it's that worse for your health. I don't get the morning cough anymore. I don't get the extra phlegm buildup, and yeah. Thank, thank you, Harmon. Yeah, I've heard that similar story from a lot of people, for sure, that it's certainly easier on your body than smoking cigarettes. I don't think anyone would dispute that. Let me try Karen again, if we still got her there, Tim. Hi, Karen. Can Hi, I hear? Hi, Go ahead. Can you can you hear me now? Much better. Go ahead, please. Okay, my daughter uh, vapes. I have asthma. Long story short, she coughs every day like uh, she smokes cigarettes, and it's just uh, very alarming. But the most alarming thing is my brother-in-law is a nuclear medical radiologist, and he is very concerned. He says popcorn lung is on the rise. It's been proven that it's directly linked to the flavoring in the in the e-cigarettes. And it's just really alarming to me that uh, we are—we uh, have a respirologist that you just heard saying he wants to steer people away. I, under, I 100% agree. And to hear my daughter cough like crazy every day is so alarming to me as an asthma patient. And it's just really quite astonishing that we are allowing this product to even exist in Canada. Karen, thank you for the call. Um, Daryl, we just got 30 seconds left if you want to respond to that. Absolutely. Um, uh, they're wrong. Uh, if you go to Health Canada's website, popcorn lung is not a uh, statistic. It's not on the rise. It's not a reason to be afraid to transition. So most doctors also think vaping is as dangerous, if not more what, dangerous. What about, a, what about a kid who starts vaping, never mind transitioning from cigarettes, like a kid who starts vaping off the bat? Listen, that's, that's not good. It's, it's not benign. There's no question. And more yeah. education and more enforcement is needed. Uh, there's no question about that. I'm a father of four. I have the same concerns. But we need to get okay. to the real concerns. We need to transition away from conversations like popcorn lung and what the benefits and risks are to society. Daryl, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much.
All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the state of BC hospitals now and the new and quite graphic ad campaign from the BC Nurses Union. I think most listeners have probably seen these TV commercials recently. They're receiving a lot of airtime, and these ads really grab your attention. Some of the images you see in these commercials, you see an elderly woman on a gurney in a hospital hallway, a crowded hospital emergency room with a young girl bleeding from her leg from an injury, a violent patient acting out, throwing stuff on the floor. These ads really, really jump out at you. Got Amon Graywall standing by, president of the BC Nurses Union. First, let's have a listen to the ads. These are what the ads sound like. Have a listen to this. I'll be back in a bit. Truth is, I don't know when I'll be back. We're short-staffed again. I just can't be everywhere. We need you now, incoming trauma patient. With so few nurses, she'll have to wait to get the care she needs. Are you gonna help me? Did that shock you? Happens almost every day, but I have to focus on my patients. The truth is, BC nurses need our help. Ask government to fix our healthcare system now. Okay, that's the ad from the BC Nurses Union. Let's talk about it now with my guest, Amon Graywall, president of the BC Nurses Union. Amon, thank you very much for coming on today. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you for being here. These commercials have received a lot of attention. They really I've seen them many, many times here over the last few weeks, and every time I see them, I'm I'm still struck by uh how how graphic they kind of are and how they really grab your attention. What kind of feedback have you received to this ad campaign? That's funny you asked that because I was just about to say our nurses keep on saying, you know, um, that's fine that you have that. But, you know, I would have rather have seen what actually happens is that tray actually hits the nurse. You know, you guys were too subtle. And I mean, we were being generous by only putting a tray in there. But, you know, you have full urinals and um, bedpans, et cetera, thrown at nurses. You get spat on. you know, they get kicked and punched and pulled by the hair. And then on top of that, the violent language, abusive language that uh, takes place. So it's not just one thing. And our nurses, you know, deal with so much that the public just doesn't even see. Wow, that's very interesting. So you're hearing from nurses say like, you know, my my immediate thought in the ads that they were quite graphic. Maybe nurses are saying it they're not graphic enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know... Huh. The message that in here, I mean, the hallway nursing, I mean, we're already hearing that even Children's Hospital is talking about doubling up uh, patients in the rooms. That's already happening, been happening for years, but it's just getting worse because, one, there's no long-term care beds for these patients to go to. Um, They're um, ALC patients that are waiting uh, for alternate level of care, and uh, so they're sitting in acute care beds waiting for placement and um, then on top of that like where that nurse you know says truth is I don't know when I'll be able to get back to her because that is the reality they're so stretched thin that they don't um, you know they're working short staffed and uh, 
they don't know when they'll get back because you don't know what circumstances are ahead of you. If one of your patient codes or, you know, needs some sort of uh, life-saving uh, treatments or you just end up getting more patients or one of your patients gets sick. And, uh, like, seeing that little girl and even yeah. the elderly lady, you know, that, uh, you know, these are the types of patients that are still considered the lower acuity because you've got the people who come in that aren't breathing or having a stroke or a heart attack, you know, the CTAS ones and twos, the triaging system that uh, get the priority first and that uh, ends up causing uh, big uh, waits in the waiting rooms. Okay, I'm glad you mentioned that part of it because that's one of the parts of the ad that really jumps out. You see this young girl who's got this this injury and, and she's bleeding while waiting in an emergency room. Like you mentioned that uh, in a crowded situation in an ER, and they all seem to be crowded right now, the triage system kicks in. So the person, the people with the most serious injuries or illnesses in most dire need, they go first. That makes a lot of sense. Is it typical, though, that a patient would show up bleeding and still have to wait? Oh, absolutely. And uh, the triaging system is for every patient that comes in and it always has been. It's a standard that uh, is needing to be done when you come into a hospital. You're triaged when you register. And um, so the sickest patients always get seen first. And what happens then is if you're a CTAS 3, 4, or 5, even CTAS 3s, they're still pretty sick, but the 4s and 5s are the ones that walk in, but they can wait for their treatment. Their treatment isn't going to be life-saving because their injury isn't uh, that detrimental. But I mean, to that person themselves, it is. That is an injury that requires medical care. But uh, the ones that aren't able to advocate for themselves or um, need life-saving interventions in order for them to survive, those are the ones that are going to have to have the care first. Speaking of Amon Graywall, president of the BC Nurses Union. So let's talk a little bit about patient care and the, the adequacy of it right now. Like, when we see in the TV commercial, you see an elderly woman on a gurney in a hallway and a nurse says to her, I'll, I'll be back. And then she looks in the camera and says, the truth is, I don't know when I'll be back. This poor woman's left all alone. Like, that's a pretty sad image. Is that like hallway medicine, as it's been called? Is that like uh, it's an acceptable part of the system, though, isn't it? I mean, if you don't have a hospital bed. If someone is, is if someone's on a stretcher in a hallway, does that necessarily mean they're receiving poor care or inadequate care? Um, so hallway nursing, as I said, has been um, something that's been going on for years, and uh, but and it's because all the inpatient, in acute uh, beds that are allocated in a emergency room, those are full. So as they need more beds, you get put into a hallway bed and the least sickest patients go into those hallway beds. But still, they are sick people who are waiting to get up to a bed in one of the medical or surgical units. Or, um, I mean, if they need critical care or cardiac monitoring, they'll stay inside the emergency acute care beds. But... um, they're still getting the care that they need, but at the same time, the nurses are stretched thin, our healthcare workers are stretched 
then. Um, so you've got the CARES, the LPNs, the RNs, the RPNs all working. But then you have the allied support staff also working, um, but we're still short-staffed, even okay. with all of them. Um, I just got a couple of minutes left here. You're in, con- you're in contract negotiations right now with the province, and I'm sure the ad campaign is obviously tied to that. What is the status of contract talks with government right now, and what are you seeking at the bargaining table? So we had our very first bargaining meeting last week on December 8th, and we're back at the bargaining table this week, and uh, we are looking for uh safety. Uh, We are looking for wages. We are looking for uh, workplaces without violence uh, to address the violence in the workplaces, uh, ratios for our nurses. Uh, We haven't come out with numbers or anything. Neither has the employer just having started last week. So uh, we'll see what this week brings along. Okay, in terms of this last question for you, in, in terms of the short staffing, what, what is the ask there for the, sta- the staffing shortages we're seeing right now? So we need to look at recruitment, retention, and return. So bringing back the nurses that left. Why did they leave? What can we do to make it better for them to bring them back? Uh, mentorship for our new nurses uh, who are not getting the support that they need right now because they're working so short. Uh, recruiting new nurses, getting more uh, people to go into the profession. It's a very noble profession for them to be going into. I've been at it for 36 years and so proud to be a nurse. And uh, then there are our uh, nurses that are still in the system and how to retain them because some of them are talking about leaving. And, uh, you know, when you look at uh, salaries that nurses make compared to other professions, we're nowhere near what we should be making. And, um, you know, nurses want to be respected and valued for the professionals that they are. Are you asking for the, the vaccine mandate to be dropped? We have been advocating for our nurses that uh, are unvaccinated through the grievance process, and uh, there has been an industry-wide appeal that has been uh, filed as well. So we are trying to get our nurses um, to be uh, back in the system. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.